to the Vine Podcast. This is Rachel, and today we're just going to have a, a conversation as part of our Lent resources that we have been going through. We're about one month into the Lenten season, and this is a time of anticipation and preparation for the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Lent is the season leading up to Easter, the biggest holiday in Christianity, alongside the day we celebrate Christ's birthday, which is Christmas. Lent has been observed in diverse ways through history and denominations, but there are not really any rules for Lent, but the idea is to refocus on Christ and what he did on the cross and in his resurrection. So I am welcoming Warren. <laughs> hey, Rachel. Um, to Hey, Warren, to just um, kind of pick up some previous conversations that we've had before about Lent. So thank you, Warren, for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great and glad, glad to be here for this. And I like that you described Lent as something without rules. Like there's no rules, huh? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I right. haven't found any. Have you? <laughs> Is that where Mardi Gras comes in? Is that why? <laughs> but, Maybe oh, so. That's, pre, that's pre-Lent though, so, okay. Yeah, well, the Mardi Gras thing is kind of like, I think you're, you've been fasting for a long time, and so when it's finally like time to celebrate, you really go all out. Um, so I think that might be tied up in it. Uh, when you've you've fasted sincerely i think that's supposed to be the idea and then but is it Mar- Mardi Gras time... at the beginning though like in anticipation of this time of fasting right isn't that right is i it... don't even know okay well so, obviously we're not I'm big not Mardi Gras the... celebrators so i guess we've exposed ourselves yeah. in that in this so anyways my only connection <laughs> sorry I is didn't... a roommate who's from louisiana but <laughs> yeah <laughs> didn't mean but to today, get you off track I... go ahead <laughs> you're good I want to talk about some of the key elements of Lent. So it is related to Mardi Gras, even though we don't know the connection very well. We're not experts there. But um, these key elements that I've seen coming up in just some of the reading that I've done about Lent are fasting, prayer, and mercy. So Jesus teaches on each of these in the Sermon on the Mount, a message that he likely repeated frequently as he preached the good news of repentance and forgiveness in the gospel of the kingdom of God. So today I'd like us to spend a few minutes hearing what Jesus taught on these elements of kingdom life. So what did Jesus say? Prayer, fasting, and acts of mercy. What does he say about these and how do these three elements play into our practice of Lent? So in our Lenten sermon series at the cross, we're making a communal effort to shift our focus to the cross of Christ, the significance of Jesus' suffering and death there. But also considering the teaching of Jesus before he died, I think complements worshipful contemplation on Jesus' death. So I hope that this time we'll just offer a little bit of a self-check for us, and as we hear the words of Christ, May we allow the Spirit of God to examine our hearts and our actions and how well our lives are aligning with the teaching of Jesus as we move toward thinking more about what he did on the cross for us. So I want us to go to the Sermon on the Mount. I think you know where that is, Warren. Um, This is a place where we get a lot of Jesus's rapid-fire teachings, and he addresses a whole lot of topics 
But within those, he does talk about prayer, fasting, and acts of mercy. So I think that we should take the those three in the order that Jesus does, or that Matthew records Jesus taking them. Um, Warren, would you read for us from Matthew 6, beginning in verse 1, uh, where Jesus talks about giving to the needy? And if you'll read to about verse 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So this is Jesus talking about acts of mercy or basically good works, helping people who are in need. Um, Is there anything from those verses that you think stand out to you, Warren, or that you feel like might have a connection to this season of Lent in any way? Well, so, so two things kind of first come to my mind with this. One is that, so I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know, a while back. All dates just run together now. Um, (laughs) At some point I preached through it. And this is actually the only chapter that I did not preach because I was out of town this week and Michael Fortson actually preached uh, this week of the series for us. And so I had thoughts on this chapter that I, that I didn't get to share in the sermon. Uh, But Mm, this particular, yeah, I know. Here we go. This particular section of Matthew six, every time I read it, the first thing that I think about is there was this um, there was a Sunday when I was in college where I was at this I was at church with a, a guy this guy was sitting beside me I didn't know him real well but he was a fellow student at ACU and the auditorium that we were in was kind of an older style auditorium and it was slanted down and had like kind of like tile floor underneath the seats that we were in, like there's carpet in the aisle and then kind of tile or something where we're sitting. That'll be important for part of the story in a minute. But so the plates, the offering plates like came down the row. Um, again, something that seemed, seemed very normal in pre-COVID days, right? The offering plate comes down the row, you know, you put your offering in and then hand it off. And, and this guy, I'd never seen someone like this. I think of this because he was taking so literally, it seemed like this, not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, where he was, uh, so he took the plate and like in one swoop, tried to like very discreetly put money in the plate and pass it in one motion. (laughs) But because he was trying to do it so discreetly, he dropped the plate, and and there's like this thing is like full of change and bills and everything, and so you can hear change rolling down this slanted tile floor, hitting all the chairs in front of us, hitting hitting seats, um, and it just made like the loudest commotion, um, all because he was like trying to go over the top of yeah. not letting his left hand know what his right hand was doing. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, I don't know, for some reason I always think about with this text, because like, I just think it makes me think of just the various ways in which we can sometimes be performative with our giving. Mm. And and that seems to be what he's cautioning against here. Um, and And that there is actually... 
Uh, in fact, I, I did preach a sermon on this one time, the discipline of secrecy, that I think there is a certain spiritual discipline of secrecy and, and we can do that with the right motive and we don't have to, it, it, it doesn't have to be this idea that like no one else could ever know what you're doing, you know, but, right. but that there is value in simply doing good for the sake of doing good and, and not seeking to bring attention to yourself. And, and I think causes us to question the, the performative ways in which we sometimes go about some of those things. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that you have to like hide it or like remove any trail of your giving or that absolutely no one can know what you did. But I think the idea is that you're desiring God to give the glory and truly for that person who's in need to be blessed and uplifted, not for yourself to be seen (laughs) and to receive the recognition. Yeah, that seems to be the question there is who are you trying to to receive honor from? Who are you? What's what's the purpose? Are you doing this to truly bless somebody else? Or are you doing it so others will see what a great person you are? (laughs) Are you doing it so it'll bring glory to God? Or are you doing it to bring glory to yourself? And I think those are like, I think those are good questions for us to wrestle with. And, and I think it's, um, it it helps us to, to really check our motivations with, Mm. with a lot of those things. There's another aspect to that that is actually more convicting to me than the one that we're talking about now, which if you interpret Jesus saying, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that could also mean be so ready and generous and willing to give that you don't even have to think. You don't even need hand-eye coordination. It's not even like both of your hands have to come together and agree to make this happen. Like, as soon as someone is in need, like, bam, it's gone. It was right here in my hand, and immediately it's gone. It didn't even take two hands. I didn't even have to transfer it, like... I'm ready to give. And that's actually more convicting to me um, because whenever I know someone's in need or when people ask, I think about it, you know? And I consider financially, am I able to do whatever it is they're asking or whatever situational thing it is that they need? Um, Is it convenient to me? Does it present a danger to me? Would someone else see what I've done and question my motives? Or, like, (laughs) in college, uh, my friend and I befriended some homeless people in our city. And there was this torrential rainstorm. And so we drove in her truck to what was called Tent City, where there are people literally living in tarps and stuff under the bridge. And it was flooding. And we went and picked them up and brought them back to our apartment. And they slept there. (laughs) Um, And so in situations like that, like there was a level of risk or danger to ourselves. I'm not saying that's the wisest thing and that teenagers should go out and do that. (laughs) But like we were really like pursuing Jesus and we had a relationship with these people and we felt like this is the Jesus way in this situation, you know? Um, And I just think that part of what Jesus is saying is like, don't dwell on the decision. Like don't deliberate it so much that you miss an opportunity. Like always be ready. Like it doesn't even have to go through both hands. Just like, let it go. Whatever you have in your hand, let it go immediately. Um, And so I don't know if that's a correct interpretation of what Jesus is saying or not, but 
Well, yeah, I've, I've never read it that way, but even as you were saying that, I think I had kind of a similar thought just as you were saying that, that, you know, part of that not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing could be, I think this is this is similar to what you were saying maybe, but that's where, where my mind first went was, the, yeah, we often do this like kind of, this inventory in our heads about cost, right? Or, or that like, because like you were saying with the homeless people, like sometimes I think our thought, or at least my thought is like, well, if I get involved here, like if I meet this need, what's it going to mean for down the road? Right. And so sometimes maybe part of that imagery of le- 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 not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing is that my right hand may know I've got this expense coming down the road. I've got this that, that I'm preparing for. Um, and that the the true generosity is, is yeah, meeting needs without without taking some of that into into account, perhaps. Yeah, I've never thought about mm-hmm. it that way. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, it's almost like, don't let fear or logic get in the way of bold generosity. And be obedient. When you feel the, the Spirit moving and calling you to do something to help someone, just be obedient. Just do it. Like, um, don't waste all your time in debating if it's the right thing to do uh, because God will protect you when you are obedient and when you are faithful to him. Um, and there will be a blessing. And especially if it is done in secret and if you're not trying to get like news publicity or more financial support for yourself or whatever, you're just trying to do the right thing to help people. Um, and so maybe that's part of what Jesus is getting at. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, that there is a reward. In verse 4, Jesus closes with talking about that there is a reward. Um, I've struggled with that concept a whole lot. (laughs) Just like rewards for the Christian life and like the crowns that are mentioned throughout the New Testament and stuff. And should that be a motivation for us in serving Jesus and being obedient or... Is Jesus himself the prize and our portion? And he himself is our reward. Um, but he does mention it. He does talk about the reward. What do you think on that? Yeah, I think I think it has a lot to do with how you what you're expecting that reward to be, like you said. Yeah, I think this is where we get into the problem of kind of the prosperity gospel approach, right? That if you're if you're thinking if I'm generous to others, then I'm going to be materially blessed here and that's going to come back to me tenfold or whatever, you know, then right. it, it becomes, it becomes almost like a Christian investment strategy, right? Mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. for kind of how I'm going to go about attaining wealth here, which, which I yeah. don't think seems to be his point. Um, because he, you know, elsewhere, you know, where he says, you know, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, uh, for you know where your heart is, there your treasure will be also that seems to be about something other than what we would typically consider to be treasure and so if if your priority is on things that are eternal, which again has an impact for how we live now um, then then I think even your your concept of reward shifts right hopefully. That doesn't mean that we won't be material, materially blessed, because um, I do think you know certainly you could find examples of that in Scripture of you know to to whom much is given, much is expected, and all that type of stuff. Uh, but I don't think if 
if like if I'm giving to someone again, that goes back to the motivation, right? If I'm giving to someone because I want it to somehow come back to me in the form of greater material wealth, that seems to not be the the proper motivation that Jesus is getting at. Yeah. So I think the the right motivation is to glorify God, to help others, and just sort of have in your head, there is a reward somehow. (laughs) And maybe that's just part of the hope and the comfort. Well, let's look at the second one. So then right after talking about acts of mercy, Jesus teaches his followers how to pray. And so, Warren, would you read Matthew 6, verses 5 to to 8? And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corner to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Do you love this passage? (laughs) I do. I feel like this is very central to the Christian faith. Um, And just to be really frankly honest, I don't live up to this as much as I wish I did. Um, Maybe that's part of being a minister is just you have more opportunities to pray publicly. But I think that it's that concept of secret again, of just having this one-on-one intimate relationship with Jesus where you are spending time with him and it's for you and him and maybe it's having impact for the kingdom, praying for others, but nobody else knows about about what you're doing and nobody else sees that. Um, and I think that's really powerful and something that I am always striving to be better at and never quite reaching. Yeah, there's there's so much repetition throughout this chapter that I think Jesus and Matthew obviously want us to hear. There's this connection about hypocrisy, about secrecy, about the performative nature of all of these things. There's a performative nature that that is um, that is there's the potential for a performative nature to to giving to prayer and to fasting. And and I think if there's a thread, like that's what Jesus seems to be calling us to to guard against. And and the other thing that I thought just in reading it just now is that I think this te- the, these teachings on giving and and prayer, I think, are in some ways equally difficult for us to apply for very different reasons, or di- equally difficult for us to live out. Because like every time I read this section, I just think it's one of the it has to be one of the least practiced or understood passages of Jesus's teaching. And I think we typically go to something like loving our enemies or things like that for the things that Jesus says that we fail to put into practice the most. But, but man, how many times do we have this thought that, well, I don't have great words to say, so I can't pray, or I, yeah. I don't know what to pray, and I don't have great vocabulary for prayer, I don't have great spiritual language, um, all of these things. And like, Jesus literally says not to pray that way. Like he, yeah. he is just directly saying, don't do that. That's what pagans do. <laughs> and it's still because of the performative nature that I think we see in prayer, 
we we see it almost completely the opposite. Well, that if if I if I don't know how to pray well, then then that's going to keep me from doing it. Yeah, I feel like people have that worry when it's group prayer or like in class or something. But what about personally? Do you think that people struggle? I think we still feel it personally because I think even in personal prayer, yeah. we I think we still we we may phrase it differently or not phrase it at all because it's internal but I think we still have that struggle of what what would I pray so in my personal time what words do I use what do I and that's where as I've said in many cases that's where liturgical prayers have helped me um and because I think I think we still struggle with it just on that even on an individual basis I think you're right that that we do hear it more with public prayer um but I think it's still a struggle for us sort of individually too. Yeah. So Jesus says that our prayers don't need to be long and they don't have to use big words. It doesn't have to be theologically deep or complicated. Um, And so he gives us the example of the Lord's prayer, which is really so rich, but is also very simple and easy to understand of how it relates to our lives. Um, And in Kenya, um, I taught this in women's prison and the, the way that it's translated in Swahili just is really funny. It's humorous when Jesus says, do not heap up empty phrases. Um, the translation is usi payuke payuke. And so payuke is like the piling on. And so in Swahili, when you like repeat something like that, it's like the ongoing process of doing something repeatedly. And so it comes out as like, don't keep on heaping up these piles of words on top of each other when nothing you're saying means anything. You just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Um, so you get like all of that meaning out of this, uh, these, this one word, basically. Um, and we actually see that happen a lot in the churches in Kenya where people go on these long prayers where they just keep saying the same things over and over again. And it is a public prayer. Um, and, you know, you can't know the heart of that person, but Jesus tells us, keep it simple, um, especially when it's something for others to hear, something that's supposed to edify other people. Um, make sure that you're seeking glory for God and not for yourself. But I feel like there's a comfort, too. Like, there's a conviction and, like, make sure your heart is right, but there's also a comfort of you don't have to be a scholar you don't have to have walked with Jesus for 20 years. Like, just <laughs> talk to him. Talk to him as your friend. Um, and there's profit there. So I think that's an encouragement for anyone that might feel challenged in prayer of like, where do I begin or what do I say? Like, just talk to God as your father. Um, and you can use the Lord's Prayer as a basis or liturgical prayers but basically, I think part of what Jesus is saying is don't be afraid. Like, start somewhere. <laughs> Talk to him. He cares about you. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think to to that end, I think that's one of that's been one of the things that I've sort of been reminded of in this Lent season is, is just the ways that I think sometimes we think I'm not doing enough spiritually, and so I need to go from like zero to 100 tomorrow. And I think we've talked yeah. about this. I feel like we talked about this in one of our conversations with Marcia even. And and then we try to go to 100 and it doesn't work and we get frustrated and we stop. We think, well, like, see, I just, I can't do it. I don't have the time for it, whatever. 
but that the better approach for me is to probably go from zero to one and then from one to two and and that you know maybe a year later I look back and say yeah I, I kind of arrived at, at more of a place that I want to be but maybe tomorrow it, it looks like me just taking that one tiny step forward and I think that's I think that approach is sort of affirmed almost here by Jesus because because uh, yeah it's very simple it's very easy to do and you know, he again goes into that, that same thing that you brought up in the last one. There's the idea of reward again, which I think, again, is another just kind of another testament to the fact that he seems to be talking about things other than material re- reward, you know, because there's not the, the reward from prayer is quite obviously not monetary in value. <laughs> um, and, and we don't get a paycheck for our prayers. We don't yeah, log our hours. <laughs> that would be nice if we got paid for praying. <laughs> may make it easier no. <laughs> <laughs> um but but he says you know uh do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words and that even made me think like what is it that what is it that i think will make me be heard by god you know maybe it's not my many words but maybe there's something i think well if i do enough today then god will hear me if i'm righteous enough today then then god will hear me when i pray if i'm whatever like, what is it that I think will cause God to hear me? And and maybe on a broader scale, that's kind of what Jesus is pushing. It's like, no, God knows what you need before you ask him. So, God, like, God knows you. You're not going to reveal anything to God. Don't don't be that spiritually arrogant. <laughs> um, mm. Just just go in and 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 be honest with God in prayer. And and so I think to me the first part of chapter six is very challenging and and this part should be very encouraging to us i think it's kind of how i see those yes i definitely agree there is a challenge though in verses 14 and 15 it says for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I feel like that kind of goes against the way that I think about forgiveness, but these are literally the words of Jesus um, that we have to forgive others and we receive forgiveness. Like it's the same, you know, the way that you judge others, you'll also be judged. Jesus says that too here. So um, I feel like the forgiveness and the acts of mercy and the prayer are all tied up together so that when you are praying, maybe praying for your enemy or praying for someone who's wronged you, you can do the work of forgiveness right there in your prayer for that person, even if you never see them again. Um, And in acts of mercy, you could even show kindness maybe to the person that has wronged you or help um, that type of person or that group of people who you feel like has harmed you. And so I see these as all interrelated, and that's probably why Jesus kind of talks about them all back to back. Yeah, and you know, I'd never, um, so this is just kind of an interesting thing about, I guess, about Lent, that again, as, as someone who doesn't have really a history or background of observing Lent, um, I really didn't know that these were kind of the three pillars of Lent. I think I had always just associated Lent with a period of, I guess, fasting, of giving something up for the sake of 
whatever. I don't know what I would have said said in the past, but that I can I think that's really the only picture that I had of Lent is that you're like you're going for a period of time without something, and so it's that this idea of sort of self emptying in in some way. Yeah. Um, but I think when you when you look at them all three together, there is this idea of of sacrifice and emptying, but almost maybe that like prayer could be maybe prayer is sort of the refilling aspect of that. Maybe you yeah. can almost view it that way that you kind of, as we talked about in other conversations, you have to be filling yourself up with something if you're going to be giving of yourself in other ways. And, yeah. and I'd never, it's, it's interesting to think about those as kind of the three pillars of Lent, knowing that they're, they're all contained right here together in Matthew six. That's, that's interesting. And that was kind of the revelation I, never... I had. That I was like, "Oh, perfect!" Like it's yeah. the text that talks about all of these together. Was that in, like? Do you know? Is that so? This is. I'm going to show my ignorance about Lent. Is that intentional? Like, does that come from Matthew six? I don't know. Right. I don't know. Well, there um, you go. We don't have all the so. answers. Maybe. It's, <laughs> yeah, we're learning right along everybody else. So um, that's what makes this fun: is that we're all growing spiritually together and learning these things together. The last part, so Matthew 6, starting in verse 16, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So again, you have the repetitive concepts that we've already talked about of secret and reward and are you doing this for show or are you doing this for the glory of God and for you to become more like Jesus? I I kind of see it as like prayer and works of mercy are the foundation and then fasting kind of builds off of that. You cannot fast apart from prayer. You can't. You will not. <laughs> you will not succeed. It won't work. It won't accomplish what it's supposed to in you. And you'll just give up probably or get frustrated or self-righteous. It will just have the wrong result. And so you have to be in prayer. You have to have a life of prayer upon that um, you're able to practice fasting. And Jesus assumes it as a given. And when you fast, it's not just, if you think about maybe doing this, no, it's, and when you fast, um, what are your thoughts on that last section there? Yeah, when was actually the the word that I was going to bring up because that's that's a word we haven't talked about yet that is repeated in all three of these teachings, and I I do think that's that's important that Jesus seems to present all these as though it's an assumption that we're doing these things. The question is why are we doing them? And and so I think maybe even like that alone is probably challenging for us. Because um, I know, like in my sort of faith upbringing, the the thing that that I remember hearing was that, like, well, we're never commanded in the New Testament to fast, and so that's why we uh, we don't do it. And so one of the things, like, there are a couple of things that I kind of learned going forward. Then is like there are actually times, even when Paul talks about praying, that like in our English, in most modern English versions, it just says prayer. But if you look in the Greek, it says prayer and fasting. <laughs> And so, like, some of that it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that we just kind of, um, a, a cultural understanding of things that we kind of lay over the text and then 
come to see it that way, which is interesting in and of itself. Yeah. But also, like, there are times when both, I mean, I can think of, I, I think Paul does this as well at one point about fasting, but Jesus, especially here, just kind of assumes that this is going to be a part of your life. Right. And and I get that, that for his Jewish audience, it was. There, there were just assumed periods of fasting, but but it certainly seems like it's it's something that that we could recognize the benefit of and and probably don't engage on a consistent enough basis. Yeah. Yeah, it also speaks to me that we shouldn't seek for other people to be impressed with the fact that we are fasting um because impressing others is not the goal, but no one should really be impressed because Jesus considered fasting a given. Like this <laughs> yeah. is part of your life. That's true. You know, this is part of the natural rhythms of grace. So within Christianity there's seasons of fasting and seasons of feasting. And every Sunday in Lent is actually supposed to be a feast day. Every Sunday in Lent is supposed to be like a mini Easter. So it's a glimpse. It's preparing for the Easter that's coming, the huge day of celebration that's on its way. And during the week, we're preparing ourselves for fasting. But when we come together, it's a time of celebration and feasting. Um, So if you fast, um, we're, we're not really supposed to be impressed with each other, but like, I hope that it's useful and that it's helping you to grow to become more like Jesus um, and that it will make the feasting even more meaningful. So if I'm fasting, I shouldn't just post about how hungry I am on Facebook. Maybe that's the modern no. version of this, right? When you fast, don't post how hungry you are on Facebook. Or <laughs> or like when people go on social media fast and then they post, hey, everybody, I'm going to be off of social media for 30 days for my fast or whatever. Like, okay, great. But um... yeah. I think the the other part that, that, I, that sort of stood out to me in this one, and you, you mentioned it in the last one too, about how you mentioned that there's there's this humor in the way that it's, um, it's it's translated for in so is that in Swahili? Is that what you were saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so even in this, even in verse sixteen, where he says, "When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces." Like sometimes I just wonder. Like I think we picture Jesus in this kind of very polished presentation a lot of times, you know, kind of speaking very eloquently, which again goes back to some probably some of the performative ways that we see teaching and prayer and things. But I, I like I almost wonder if when he says things like that, do not look somber for they disfigure their faces. And when he uses the phrase like do not keep babbling or do not keep yeah piling on empty phrases, whatever. Uh, I think he intends for some of that to be humorous and like... He wants us to get kind of the comical nature of that. Like, hey, don't yeah. don't don't make your face be all gloomy like if you're going to fast. Uh like, you know, don't don't turn your face up and do all this stuff. I think he's just trying to be humorous and I think it's where I think we see Jesus's sense of humor come into play if if we sort of read it that way and I I appreciate that side of Jesus because I think if you're looking for it it's in a lot of his stories and teaching. Um, even within the Sermon on the Mount, like I think the the plank in the eye story is supposed to be humorous. Yeah, and, that's right. And if we get too kind of stuffy with how we read Jesus, we can miss that aspect of of what he's doing in some of his teaching. 
So Lent is a season of remembering and admitting our dependence on Jesus. It's a time to call us to turn our eyes back onto Jesus, to share in his suffering, to consider the suffering of those around us and how we might play a role in relieving that suffering through acts of mercy, through praying for people, or through fasting and reminding ourselves of the suffering of others who are without. As we have talked about recently on the podcast, Lent is a time of learning to see. So it's refocusing our eyes on Jesus as we have done in the sermon series on the cross. And I just hope that it will help all of us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to take some self-reflection and see if we are living out his teachings in our lives, but also reflecting on the redemption of the cross and what it can mean for our day-to-day walk with him and our place in this world. Warren, I'll let you share any closing thoughts, and then if you'll pray for us. Um, Thank you for having this conversation today. I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of my favorite texts. I think it's one of those that never gets old, and we should just keep coming back to it um, time and time again. I agree. I also love the Sermon on the Mount. It's a good one. And uh, thank you, Rachel, for for uh, leading this, this conversation for us today. I think the only thing that I would kind of close with is similar to a thought that I shared earlier, but I think it's, it's important to remember. And I think I, I was reminded of it because, you know, I've been thinking about the reading plan that we, that we sent out to kind of accompany Lent, which is that the dwell lead, reading plan. And I think, you know, once you get into it, it's like each day there are there are three readings and there's a devotional thought and there's a reflection. And it's like, I know that when you're doing that every day, like there are days when that seems like a lot. <laughs> and um, and there are days when even like as I've been trying to go through it, it's like, man, I, I didn't get to all that today. Or, you know, I missed a day and now I'm going to have to catch up. And that feels like a lot to kind of catch up on. And, and so I think the, the reminder here that Jesus has, at least for me, and I think for us, is, is that these, these don't have to be big, grand, out in the open things. In fact, sometimes the small things, the little things, can, can not only lead to some of those other things in your life, but can, be, can have a great impact in and of themselves. And so I would just say that as an encouragement for us at the end, that maybe if there are those of us who had grand plans about how we were going to participate in Lent, but it hasn't happened the way that we thought. For those of us who are always kind of in this state of, yeah, my, I, I want my prayer life to be more robust, uh, just a reminder to, to pursue the little things and to pursue them well and to trust that, that God will be faithful to that. All right. Well, I'll close us in prayer. Thanks again, Rachel. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Our Father in heaven, uh, help us to know that even in, in this particular time of prayer, we are not heard because of our many words or great vocabulary that we may or may not have, uh, but that we are heard because you care for us, because you love us, because you invite us to this space of prayer, that you know our needs. Uh, and that you are our sustainer, our provider, and our protector. 
so God, help us to always be willing to come before you with humility, with uh, transparency. Help us to never assume that it is because of our many words that we will be heard. Uh, and help us to, uh, to take a, a very personal, um, very personal direction and, and pursuit, God, of, of how we connect to you, how we serve others, and how we go about uh, reflecting your light and your love in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name.